Would you turn in your Bibles with me to the last chapter of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. I can't believe that we've gotten through this book. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. And hopefully as you've been going through this study with us, you've been uh, noticing how much God has been at work in your life uh, teaching you about how to, uh, how to have peace in the midst of the greatest difficulties of your life. Today we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through the end. Would you read here with me? It says, I, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever circumstance or situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to bow bound. I know in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. As you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and in receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help uh, for my needs once and again. Now that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, I receive full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, as I was uh, thinking of this passage uh, this morning, I, I want you to consider where Paul is writing this, this letter from. He is writing this letter from a Roman prison. Um, Paul is not sure if he was going to be released. In fact, he was not confident of it. He was hoping that he would be able to be released so that he could go and see these Philippian believers, but he wasn't sure. His imprisonment could have ended in his death. This imprisonment would not. His next imprisonment would. So Paul is sitting there in this Roman prison, and he's writing this letter. If you've been with us over these number of weeks, you have seen that this is a letter of joy, a letter of hope a lever of peace, that he is saying that in the most difficult circumstances that you can have joy. Now, it's one thing to, to hear it and somebody tell you that you can have joy, right? It's easy to quote a verse. It's easy to say that you can have peace or that you can have joy in your life in the greatest circumstances. It's another thing to see a person who has truly experienced it. It's one thing to have the knowledge that you can have this freedom, but it's another thing to actually see somebody who has lived a life like Paul lived and is in a situation as Paul is right now, and that as he is saying this, it's not just simple knowledge, it's experience, that he has experienced this great contentment, this great peace in his life. I, I entitled the message today, True Satisfaction true security. And I was thinking about what is it that we go after as people 
for satisfaction? What is it that we go after for security in this world? What Paul is going to get to in this section of the scripture is he is going to say that there's certain things that you may be aiming for in order to have security and satisfaction in your life. And you will find that it is fleeting. It won't fulfill you. There are three things I want you to consider this morning before we leave. One is this idea of a contented spirit. What is it to be content in your spirit? What is it to have contentment? Because I think this world is so discontented today. So we'll talk about Paul has learned something about contentment. We need to hear that, a contented spirit. Well, there's a second thing I want to try to get to is that the community sharing. That as a community of believers that are filled by the gospel, they start to share and they start to care for one another. And we see this with the Philippian believers. The last thing, which is overarching in this whole letter, is that Christ is sufficient. That's the last section we want to deal with this morning. So contented spirit, community that it shares and cares, and then finally that Christ is the sufficient one, and that's how we'll end the letter. So let's look here in verse 10. It says, I rejoice, Paul was glad, in the Lord, this Lord is his ruler, his commander, his master, the Lord Jesus Christ, that greatly, I've rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you've revived your concern for me. Now the Philippian believers had been ones that had been constantly sharing with Paul in his ministry over the years. But what had happened is apparently they had lost track of him. You know, it's not like today where um, you can pull up on your phone and instantaneously know what's going on around this world. You can know about tragedies. I saw my phone lighting up this morning about a tragedy that happened in Florida today. And we should be praying for the number of people that uh, are connected to that. So this tragedy that happens, that instantaneously pops up on my phone. Back in this time, they would have been able to lose track of the Apostle Paul. They may not know where he is. So they had given to him previously, but now they don't know where he is. And now we find out he's in a Roman prison. And then they put together another collection. And they revived their concern for him again. It says, you were indeed concerned. This was deeply concerned for me. This community of believers coming together, concerned for Paul. But you had no opportunity to show it, because you didn't know where I was, probably. Now Paul is going to get into some interesting things here. He's going to say... I really don't need it, but I love it that you've given to me. But we'll see it here in a moment. He says in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, that I'm lacking anything, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I can't tell you how long I camped on these words this week. I have learned, I've come to realize I've come to understand that whatever the circumstance is, I am to be content. Learned. You know, the circumstances that come at us oftentimes are difficult circumstances. In this side of heaven, there's going to be pain, there's going to be sorrow, there's going to be difficulties time after time in your life. And what Paul is saying is this, that no matter what the circumstances are, I have learned to be content. What do you mean by content, Paul? Satisfied. See, the problem with me and the problem with you is that we're tempted to believe and be satisfied and secured when things are going well. 
But what Paul was saying is, I'm writing this from a Roman prison, and I may lose my life, and you can be content. And I am as well. He talked about the fact that I've learned this secret. That word jumped out at me this week because it's something that is, it needs to be studied. It needs to be mastered. It needs to be understood. It doesn't just happen by natural rote things. You don't just come into this world all of a sudden content. You need to learn it. You need to study it. You need to master it. What do you need to master? We'll find out in a moment. He learned that when whatever circumstance, whatever situation, I am to be content. You know the phrase there, to be content, got me this week. I often think of the desire to be contentment or have contentment as a, a helpful suggestion. That as I stand up here this morning, I should be suggesting that you be content. I should be suggesting that your happiness and security and your satisfaction don't come from the things around you. But that's not what to be content means. It's a command. See, God is not just giving you a helpful suggestion. Paul is not just giving you a helpful suggestion of how to live this life. What he is saying is that we are commanded by God to be content. That punched me in the face this week. Because far too often times, if I'm going to confess to you, I am not content. Far too often times, if I'm confessing to you, I look at things that are happening around me and I get distracted from the one that is my contentment, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Paul has said, I've learned this secret. What have you learned, Paul? I've learned that when in every circumstance I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low I know how it is to abound. I was thinking about the first time that Paul went to Philippi. And um, he went into Lydia's home. And Lydia was the seller of purple. Um, She was pretty well off, apparently. I can imagine that you probably went into her home because she really urged him to come into the home. And he probably went into this home, and it was a nice home. And she has these riches, and she probably laid this beautiful meal in front of him. And now he's sitting in a Roman prison. I was thinking about Paul's life, and we were actually just talking about that in Sunday school, about Paul's life, how when he was converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I am going to tell him how much he must suffer for me. That was the entrance into his Christianity, that you are going to suffer for my namesake. And if you take the time to read through 2 Corinthians, how many times he was beaten multiple times he was shipwrecked he was stoned he was stoned to a point where they thought he was dead he was rejected by other believers time after time friends that were there people that were in ministry with him left him even in this letter we see that people who are claiming to be believers in christ are challenging his life over and over and over again he is being hit i know what it is to be brought low i know what it is to abound His contentment was not found in any of those circumstances. There's this guy, Jeremiah Burroughs. He wrote this book, Puritan, hundreds of years ago, and it was called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And in this book, he has this definition of contentment. I think I've shared it with you before, but I'll share it with you again. He said that Christian contentment is sweet, inward, quiet, 
gracious frame of spirit that freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I know it's long, but hear each point. Contentment is sweet. I know that for you and for me, our greatest tendencies to discontentment in our lives are when we're grumbling and complaining. We've already seen that in chapter 2. Paul is challenging people not to grumble and complain. Your contentment is going to come out when there is a sweetness in your life, not a bitterness, not a grumbling, not a complaining, not a discontentment in your heart and life. I don't know what bubbles up in your heart, and I don't know what spills out of your mouth, but it is an evidence of where you're finding your contentment. Sweet. Inward. He said it's Christian contentment is sweet and inward. Inward is the fact that my contentment is not based on you. My contentment is not based on whether things are going well in my life. My contentment is not based on outward things. My contentment is found inwardly. Inwardly because of the work of God in our lives. It's sweet. It's inward. It's quiet. There's so much chaos going on around us. So many things that are happening around us in this world. The chaos and the confusion. And what we need to do is sometimes just to sit and be still. And know that I am God. And I am here for you. And as I sit there and listen to him and sit at his feet like Mar Mary did, instead of Martha with all her busyness, Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard him. And there's a sweetness. There was a inwardness. There was a quietness. Christian contentment is sweet. It's inward. It's quiet. It's a gracious frame of spirit. What Burroughs means by that, your spirit is gospel-focused. Your spirit is saturated with grace. That you have become so in, infused by God's grace that it just pours out of you. No matter what the circumstances are. That the gracious spirit, that God has given me so much amazing grace that I could pour that grace upon you. Because you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I pour that gospel grace upon you. Sweet, inward, gracious, quiet, gracious frame of spirit that freely submits to and delights in God's plan for your life. See, Paul had come to a place in his life where it didn't matter what the circumstances were, he knew that God is sovereign and God is providential and God is good and I can trust him. And when it's good externally, I trust you. And when it's bad externally, I trust you. I don't trust in those things anymore. I know what it is to be brought low. I know what it is to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, again, he said learned, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The other word that jumped out at me this week was this idea of secret. It's not obvious. It's not disclosed to everyone. Not everybody has it. It's not easy to find. That's the secret. You know, the world today is looking for their security and satisfaction in almost anything, right? I kind of boil it down to three things that they look for. Their passions, their possessions, or their pursuits. Their passions. 
people look for satisfaction and security in their relationships. I know of people who have gone from one marriage to another marriage to another marriage to another marriage. And as they sit in my office and they're on their fourth or fifth marriage, it's... I want to be gracious to them, but I want to help them to see that there's something wrong. It's not trying to find a new spouse. Maybe there is something going on with inside of you that needs to change. That you're looking for your satisfaction and security in the wrong place. There are people that move from passions and relationships to possessions. They accumulate more and more and more. They got so much stuff they can't even deal with. I'm trying to clean out my basement right now. It's like, why do I have this stuff? And I think I've got a lot of good stuff. I've got Christian books and Christian articles. and Christian. I'll never have a chance to read all of it. <laughs> Let it go. And so what they do is they, they pursue passions. They pursue these possessions. But then there's other pursuits that they have. Power and prestige and all of these things in their lives. They think it's going to make them happy. And Paul has said this. I have learned that there's a secret. You can't be satisfied in it. See, we all long for beauty. We all long for fulfilling status. We all long for satisfying things. And those things of this earth, not necessarily bad. Relationships are not necessarily bad. Possessions are not necessarily bad. Pursuits are not necessarily bad. The issue is this. Do I make them first in my life? Do I believe that they're ultimately going to satisfy me or ultimately securing me? where Paul recognized that the secret of contentment is this. I can have a full plate or I can have nothing. God is my satisfaction. Verse 13. He says, is there a more misquoted verse in the scriptures than this one? I mean, t-shirts, right? People put this on t-shirts. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can remember I sit there in college at bat God, help me hit a home run. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> I struck out. <laughs> and so now the question is this. Is the strength that God has given me to hit the home run? Or is the strength that God has given me to strike out as well and to be content in Christ? On the day that you hit the home run and you're running the bases and it's like enjoyment, Am I content in Christ? And the day that I struck out and go back, can I still find my ultimate contentment in Christ? That's what Paul is saying. I have learned the secret, he says, of being content. I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. I think what Paul recognized is that I don't have to be materially rich because I'm already spiritually rich. I already have it all. I've got everything that I could possibly want. The passions that I want horizontally, I've got perfect passion from Christ, a perfect relationship from Him. All the possessions that I think I can grab here earthly, on an earthly level, I've got eternal possessions in Christ. His riches are just pouring out to me. And pursuits and prestige, I'm a child of God. So all of those passions and possessions and pursuits are personified in one person. Christ. Christ. See, the gospel 
has been so distorted today. What Paul has been arguing in this book is that the gospel is the answer to your life. The distortions that happen are crazy. But what Paul has been asking you to consider is this, that the gospel is good news. The good news is only good if you recognize that there's bad news. And here's the bad news. God is holy and just, and I am not. We saw that in in, in chapter 3 of this um, letter. That God is holy and just, and we will be judged. As I look out and see each one of your faces this morning, every single one of us will stand before God and have to give an account. Every single one of us will be judged one day when I take my last breath, whether it's today or 50 years from now, I will take my last breath and I will stand before God and so will you and have to give an account for your life. What the gospel says is this, is that God is holy and just and I'm not. And when I come to the end of my life, I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to be judged based on my righteousness and my merit or the righteousness of another. And the problem with my righteousness and my merit, it's as filthy rags as Scripture says. It's imperfect. And what God did for you and for me is that Jesus Christ lived a perfectly righteous life for you and for me. And what he did for us, what we could not possibly do, is that he lived every day from the womb to the grave perfect for you. And then when I failed, he stood and he hung on a cross for me and for you if you trust in him. So that God's anger and his wrath and his justice could be satisfied. That's great news. That's not just good news. And what Paul is saying is this. You give me 60, 70, 80, 100 years. You can beat me. You can imprison me. You can stone me. But I've got eternity with my Savior in heaven. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I would dare say that as I look out at this congregation, there's nobody that's been beaten five times minus one. Or 39 times each time, and he was beaten five times that way. I would dare say that as I look at it, this congregation, there's probably nobody here who's been stoned and shipwrecked three times, I think. You know, after, after like the first or second time, I think I may not get on a ship any longer, right? <laughs> you shipwrecked three times. I struggle when family members or friends reject me. Can you imagine groups of people rejecting you? Can you imagine friends now running to kill you? And Paul has said this, I've learned the secret of being content. It's gospel-focused. It's Christ-focused. See, now Paul has got this contented spirit in his life, and now he talks about the community. Verse 14. He says this, Yet it was kind of you to share in my troubles. You you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. Paul was uh, talking about these Philippian believers and he's saying that, you know what? Gospel is about sharing, right? 
Jesus Christ gave himself for you and for me. And now gospel community, community is about sharing and caring for one another. Just as Jesus did this for you, you've been doing this for me. It was so kind of you to do that. We were hearing earlier about people going and visiting our church members here. It's kind to do that. It's kind to share in that way. And Paul's attitude was that I am just so encouraged by you. Paul is saying, I don't want you not to give, but I just want you to know that if you don't give, God is still going to give for me. He's going to still take care of my need. Verse 15, And you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving or receiving. The Philippians had been so very thoughtful, so very generous, that they had shared with Paul. He planted a church in their city, and now he wanted the they wanted the opportunity to share with him to plant new churches. That this church, it wouldn't be amazing if this church just so exploded that we would have to plant new churches outside, that more and more people are going to hear the gospel message. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I was thinking about this as this week as well. How many people can you turn on TVs today and they are, I don't even know what a nice word, con artist, in the cloak of Christianity? And what they do is they tell you they scheme, they're devious. They say, if you plant a seed in my ministry, then guess what is going to end up happening? God is going to flourish your life. So send me $1,000, you'll get back ten, right? And so people are going on their credit cards and swiping their credit cards, giving it to this person in ministry. That's not what Paul is asking here. Paul is saying that I'm not seeking after a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases for your credit. Is he looking at mostly earthly reimbursement? No, I don't think so. I don't think he's talking about earthly reimbursement, that you give me a thousand and you get back ten. What he's talking about is eternal rewards. That as you are sharing with me in this ministry, Paul is saying, this gospel ministry, you may not be able to be here in Rome, but you're helping me to be able to share the good news, the gospel. So the contentment that I have now leads out to the gospel being shared with the community. You're sharing with me. Now there's some people here that are unable to give financially. You know, I got it. Maybe you're in a difficult position in your life and you're not able to share financially. Paul is saying this. So many ways that you could share your faith. Sharing the gospel. You have time, right? We heard earlier that you could go over to the building this week and to help and share and um, clean up in some of the ways in the building. Some of you have the time this week to just be able to pray for one another. Some of you have this time this week to be able to write a note to somebody that's in need. You have time, you have talents. Maybe you don't have the treasures that you can share with other people, but you have other ways that you could share in the good news of the gospel and be partners in this gospel message. Paul is saying that I want to see you increase in doing that so the gospel goes out and that you can get an eternal reward. Verse 18. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent me, a fragrant offering, an ex sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. 
See, Paul was fully satisfied. He got everything that he needed. I don't need anything more. But you know what I loved about this section? It wasn't just the fact that the Philippian believers wrote out money and sent it to Paul. Yeah, they were helping Paul, but you see what it was? It was a sacrifice of praise to God. It was an offering. It goes back to the Old Testament where they would have this fragrant offering of a sacrifice and the aroma would go up to God and he was so satisfied with it. God wants us to use these times, these talents and treasures, not primarily for greed, but ultimately to worship him. It says in verse 19, And my God will supply your every need. I like this one commentator. He said, it's not need, it's not greed, but needs. See, our life, we want greeds. I need this to fulfill my passions, my possessions, my pursuits. It's not greed, it's need. My God is the one that will supply every need of yours according to his lavish riches and glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't know about you, but um, what are the material possessions that you have? What are the times and talents that you have? What are the ways that you can meet other people's needs today? In Proverbs eleven twenty-five, it says this. It says, whoever brings a blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Or in Matthew 6.33, it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, he ends this section here by saying, To God, our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. He saw that God is sovereignly in control. He saw that God is a providential God. He has a plan. He saw that God is a gracious God. He saw that God is a loving God. He trusted in God that his security was based in God and that God was going to take him through some deep waters, but he was never going to leave him. He trusted in the wisdom of God that it was infinite. He trusted in the love of God that has no end. And his union with Christ, his communion with Christ was going to be everlasting. And that, he said, share with others. So Paul went from a contented spirit. Paul said, I am so encouraged by this community sharing that you have. And then he ends with this. He ends with the fact that Christ is our sufficiency. Verse 21. Greet everyone, every saint in Christ Jesus. That caught me as well. Do you greet every single one as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you have your clique? Do you have those people that you're more comfortable with? Paul is saying, we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ if you trust in Christ. We're going to spend eternity with one another. We are a family. So share that family message with other, uh, other people. And the brothers who are with me greet you. And all the saints greet you. I love this line here, especially those of Caesar's household. Where is Paul at? He's in a Roman prison. What has Paul been doing in a Roman prison? Has he been grumbling and complaining? 
Has he been disgruntled and discontented? No. He's been sharing the gospel. And as he's been sharing the gospel, what's been happening? People are getting saved. That doesn't excite you? (laughs) It excites me. That in his lowest point, from a human perspective, God is still using him for the cause of Christ. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So what have we seen in this book? We have seen gospel. We have seen that the gospel is a belief that you must have. A belief. We have seen in this book that the gospel goes from belief to behavior. It goes into living. You must live out the truth of the gospel. That the gospel is that God has saved you by his work in Christ, but now we don't just proclaim that message. We display that message. We demonstrate that message to one another in our homes, in this church, in this community for the glory of God. What have we seen in this book? The beliefs. We've seen the living We've seen that the gospel is about sharing, koinonia, fellowship, partnership. So that brings me to thought. Paul, it's really nice that uh, you were so contented in the worst times. I'm not. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I'm just so unhappy. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not truly satisfied. I'm not truly secure. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you think, yeah, you know what? I have gone after passion after passion after relationship after relationship and hasn't fulfilled me. Maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking about the number of possessions that you think you can grab, that other thing that you thought was going to make you happy and it's sitting in your basement or your attic. You used it once and it's done. Or maybe you're sitting here thinking about all the pursuits, the prestige. If I can get another zero in my paycheck, if I could get that job, if I could get that house, if I could get that thing, I'll be happy. And maybe you're sitting here this morning telling me, if I'm going to admit it, I am unhappy, I am empty. I think I have an answer for you. I think the reason why we struggle with unhappiness and emptiness today is that There is this um, infinite hole in your life. And we try to fill it with something that's temporary. There is this immeasurable gap in your life. And you try to fill it with something measurable. There is something endless that is there. And you're trying to fill it with something that's going to end. There's something that is boundless you're trying to find it with sil- fill it with something that's bound see we try to fill this this infinite hole with something that is a finite in our lives and it's going to fail us i want you to consider that the reason why you're unhappy is because there's this great gap in your life that needs to be filled by something that will fill that gap I want you to secondly think about what is it that you have been going after to fill that void in your life. I gave you three categories. Maybe there are others. But there's something that you have been longing for to be satisfied and secured, and it fails you. So some of you sit here this morning, you're unhappy. Some of you sit here this morning, 
and you have things that you've been going after to fill you, and it hasn't. James, are you telling me that I can't love and desire in one thing? No, that's not what I'm telling you. I don't think that's what Paul was telling us, and definitely I don't believe that's what the Holy Spirit's telling us. What, what, what I believe is they're telling us, the Holy Spirit is telling us is this. There's nothing wrong with loving things, or loving people, or wanting or desiring. There's a problem when you worship it. That you were called to worship Christ alone. And that he is the satisfaction. He is the security. That I can enjoy things of this world, but I need to passionately pursue Christ. So now as I bow down before the Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray that this morning you'll do that. I pray that like the woman who kissed his feet, she wiped his feet with her hair. Like Mary who sat there as his, her, her sister is busying herself with all of life, Mary sat there at Jesus' feet and wanted to hear more of Christ. As Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn. We have learned in this book that Christ is our promise. We've learned in this book that Christ is our pattern. We've learned in this book that Christ is our prize. We've learned in this last chapter that Christ is our peace. Where do you turn for your peace this morning? There's a hymn that I'm fond of. I'll read it as I close. It's written by this man, Edward Mote. It's called, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. When every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Last one. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. So I ask you this morning, are you contented as spirit? I ask you this morning, are you a community that shares with one another because of the gospel? And I ask you this morning, are you recognizing that Christ is the only sufficiency, is the only satisfaction, he's your only security? Will you trust in him today? Lord, I pray that you would remind us as Paul has reminded us from the beginning of this book that it's about the gospel. He talked about the partnership in the gospel. He says that you've begun a good work in us and you will complete it. 
He tells us in this message, in this book, he says, to, for me to live as Christ, in fact, I guess that could be the, the theme of this book, to live as Christ, but to die as gain. He says, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He talked about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. He talked about forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. He talks about, I've learned the secret of contentment. Lord, I pray that that message so will so fill our hearts, so fill our lives, that we just breathe grace, that we bleed gospel, and that we share it in our homes, in this church, and in your community for the glory and honor of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.